Well, good morning, everyone. So good to see all of you and uh, love connecting and, and watching you get connected to others. Uh, my name is Paul Mumon. I'm the lead pastor here at Genesis and just a, a pleasure to be with you today. And I want to just tack on to something that Nikki was talking about, this uh, Going Deeper event. We're hosting Brad Nelson. Uh, if you've been around for a while, you've maybe heard me talk about my, my friend Brad Gray, uh, who led the, the study trip that I went on to Israel back a number of years ago. We've had Brad at our church a couple of times. Well, this is a different Brad, but they're like best friends and they work for the same ministry and they're the same kind of style teacher. And so I want to invite you out on Tuesday night, October 5th at our Noblesville campus. It's going to be fantastic. And as we get ready to enter the book of Acts and beyond and so many of Paul's writing, like you will just, you'll love the information and the opportunity uh, to learn a little bit more. So if you can make that happen again, Tuesday, October 5th uh, at our Noblesville campus. But hey, we shared some big news at our, uh, remember we were outside a few, year, a few weeks ago ago, uh, Labor Day weekend. If you were able to be there, Federal Hill Commons, uh, in case you missed, I, I'm excited to announce that Genesis is partnering with other churches around the country to help start a brand new multicultural church in Miami, Florida. And uh, it's going to be called Reality Church. It's located a few minutes from the University of Miami campus. And our Noblesville worship pastor, Justin Tunmore, who leads worship here from time to time, he and his wife served on staff in the Miami area for a few years. And so, these are some of his friends that are starting this brand new church. And so Justin helped make the connection with us. And so Justin and I went down in August to learn a little bit more about reality, to understand what partnership would look like. And we walked away so encouraged. Uh, and after coming back and some discussion and prayer, I'm pleased to announce that we've made a four-year commitment as a church to help support Pastor Carlos Lillette and Reality Church, which means a few things. Number one, uh, we're going to pray for them. Uh, we're going to make that a part of our our ministry to pray and support them that way. Number two, we're going to send mission teams uh, over the next few years as needed to go down and to serve alongside of them. And we're also going to support them financially as a church. And uh, I want to introduce you to Pastor Carlos and Reality Today. We've got this short video message. Check this out. My name is Carlos Olet, and I want to invite you to partner with me as we plant a gospel-centered church that shows and shares the love of Jesus in the heart of Miami. I came to know Jesus because two missionaries from the Midwest, Marjorie Johnson and Esther Carson, trusted that God had called them to the plains of Venezuela. And they moved there and they shared the gospel with my grandmother, who then shared it with my mom. And they both shared it with me until I came to know and love Jesus Christ. And in the same way, I want you to help me share that great gospel with the people of Miami. People like my own family who migrate to the United States to experience liberation, sometimes from oppression. And while they experience the blessings of this country, they can also be crushed by the broken promises of the American dream. People like my neighbor, an Eastern European artist with a wife and two children, who are trying to find their way in this global city of Miami. And here's what I want my neighbor to see. Here's the kind of church I want him to see, a gospel-centered church because the gospel is the best news for those not only who are far away from God, but also for his children who need Jesus' grace even on their best day. I want him to see a church for all people where the gospel bridges racial, cultural, and economic divides. I want him to see a church for Monday where he can see how the gospel isn't just for an hour on Sunday morning, but it actually affects the 168 hours of his week. I want him to see a dependent church, 
that pursues intimacy with God in prayer and relies on the power of the Spirit, especially in the middle of a city that strives to find satisfaction in external things like money, sex, and power. I want him to see ascending church because we have a mission to make disciples and preach the gospel until the whole earth hears. At the end of the day, we just want the church to be the church. And what an opportunity to see it established in Miami, a strategic global city with millions of people who don't know Jesus. When we touch Miami with the gospel, we're not only touching Miami, but we get to touch the entire world. So I want to invite you to join me in this mission by praying for us, by investing financially, and perhaps just like with Esther and Marjorie, by moving to Miami to serve together side by side in reaching people for Jesus Christ. And you think he's kidding when he says to move to Miami. And uh, we'll show this video again in January and we'll all put up our hands, right? I'll, I'll go. But uh, I, I'm just grateful for this opportunity. I love Pastor Carlos vision that if you reach the people of Miami, like you have the potential of reaching uh, to the uh, distant places of the world. And that's right in line with our greater priorities. You know, as we talked about our, our greater initiative, one of those three initiatives is we want to help change the world. And so this is one way that we get to do that. And so I just want to say thank you today, Genesis, for your support. Uh, thank you for your giving. I mean, your giving back to Genesis and to things like greater makes it possible for us to come alongside and to bless Reality Church and to think that people are going to find their way back to God through Reality Church. And you and I, we're going to say, we're going to be able to say that we got to play a small part uh, in that kingdom work. So uh, let's pray. Well, I want to pray right now because Reality Church is meeting this morning. They are, I think this is the third week uh, that they're meeting as a church. So let's pray for them together right now and uh, just continue to ask the Lord to use this time as he would today. Father, thank you for Pastor Carlos and for Reality Church. Thank you for helping to, us to get to know them. And uh, thank you that we get to come alongside and just play a small part in your big kingdom work that you are doing uh, in the Miami area. We pray for them this morning, Lord, that uh, Jesus' presence would be there with reality, that those who are coming and, and those that don't know Christ might encounter him in a really powerful way today. Uh, continue to provide for their needs. Give them great faith and great vision of what you want to do amongst them and again out beyond you know to different parts uh, of this world too and continue to stretch us as a church give us great faith thank you for inviting us into your kingdom work not only here in central indiana but all around this state and country and all around this world lord we thank you we pray that you continue to use us and use this time lord uh, we invite your presence into this place and to this time of teaching and we pray that you would speak to our hearts and to our minds. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may have heard Pastor Carlos use the word several times there, the word gospel. And uh, in case that's a new word to you, it's a word that just means good news. Uh, it's the good news of Jesus Christ. In fact, the first four books of the New Testament, or the second half of our Bibles, are often referred to, we call them the gospels. They, they, mean, the, they mean the good news, and that is because they tell uh, the stories and the good news about Jesus Christ. And we're going to be in the gospel of Luke today, if you've got a Bible uh, and you want to follow along with us. Uh, Luke, like 
like Matthew, like Mark, and like John, provides us with an account of the life and the teachings of Jesus. And in case you're wondering, well, why in the world are there four different accounts of Jesus in the New Testament? I don't know, maybe you've thought that before as you've read through and thought, okay, well, well, they each tell these same stories, but Matthew includes these and Mark doesn't. And why does Luke do this? And, and John maybe do something different. Well, each offers a different viewpoint, uh, a different perspective into the life of Jesus. And perspective is really helpful. I, I tell it like this. I, I went to the Colts opener uh, a couple of weeks ago. Some friends gave us some tickets. Uh, we sat in a corner of the end zone about halfway up at Lucas Oil. I have some other friends. They had even better tickets. They sat on the 50-yard line, just a few rows up right in the center of the stadium. But yet I knew even some others. And if you've been to Lucas Oil before, they sat way up at the tip top, which are the seats I pay for. Like if I'm paying for tickets, that's where I sit. But even if you weren't there, I mean, maybe you watched it on TV, whatever it is, like we all watched the same game, okay? It was the same outcome, but we each have a different viewpoint. There's a different perspective depending on where you were seated. The gospels are kind of like that. They're similar and yet different. Each has their own unique perspective, including Luke's. Now, who's Luke? All right, and what's his perspective? Well, to begin, Luke is the only New Testament writer that wasn't a Jew. Uh, he was a Gentile, and his writing reflects that. Uh, you might notice that, that Matthew and Mark and John often refer back to many occasions and words from the Old Testament and highlight Jesus as the fulfillment of those words and of those prophecies. Luke doesn't nearly do that as much. He's not as concerned with those pieces of Christ's story as he is on the fact that Jesus has come from for all people, that he is for everyone, that he is for the Jew, but he is for the Gentile and every person, every corner of the earth, every color, no matter the color of your skin, like Jesus is for all people. And he was a physician too, which may explain why he gave such careful attention to details. And that's one of the things that makes Luke unique. He includes specific names and, and occasions and locations and events that give his gospel, his writings, even greater credibility. His writings also highlight Jesus' compassion for the sick and for the hurting and for the lost people of Israel, maybe more than any of the other gospels. And perhaps that's why scholar William Barclay has called Luke the loveliest book in the world, and why he also says that the story we're going to look at here in Luke chapter 7, the loveliest story in all of the Gospels. And so turn to Luke chapter 7, if you haven't already. I want to look at a true story of Jesus today, a story that helps us better understand what Jesus is like, uh, his compassion for the hurting, and the power that he has to help us through our circumstances and our challenges. And I recognize, even saying this, uh, that some of you here today, that, that you are here and that maybe you're going through some, some painful, uh, difficult times of your own right now. Um, it could be that you're reeling from a tragic loss of your own uh, in your life, somebody that you loved that uh, is no longer with you. Uh, maybe you're struggling with, with fear about the future and how that's going to affect your kids or how that's going to affect your work or just life in general. Um, certainly in the times that we're living in today and so much tension and emotion, I mean, maybe you're angry about something. Uh, maybe you're irritated by some circumstances, again, that are impacting you or impacting your kids. Uh, again, we know so many people that are paralyzed right now by anxiety, uh, fear, and uncertainty of all kinds, whatever it is. My, my prayer for you today is this. 
I'm praying that you will hear from God today in a really special and powerful and meaningful way, and that you'll be reminded that God knows your pain, uh, that he is a God that knows our hurts and our fears, that he has not forgotten about you, and that you can trust him, that no matter what you're going through in this life or in this world, that you can trust our Savior. And so let's take a look at this account in Luke chapter 7 today, beginning in verse 11. Here's what Luke records for us. He writes, Soon afterward, Jesus went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. Now, Jesus and his disciples had been in a place called Capernaum, all right, and they, they've made their way to this place called Nain, and, and Luke says disciples, which certainly means the 12, but when he says disciples, and because he's included the details of a large crowd, he's talking about an even larger group of people that are traveling with Jesus to this place called Nain, and here's a map of Israel to kind of give you some perspective if you appreciate a map and you can see Jerusalem and Bethlehem here in the center of Israel. Well, this body of water to the north uh, is the Sea of Galilee. And that's where Jesus is going to spend a lot of time and do a lot of his ministry. And there's a, a place that really became home and, and kind of ground central for Jesus called Capernaum. Uh, you can remember this, that Capernaum caps off the Sea of Galilee. Well, to the south of the Sea of Galilee, there is a valley that stretches all the way over to a place called Megiddo uh, to the Mediterranean Sea, a valley called the Jezreel Valley. And about halfway down that valley, there's a village called Nain that doesn't show up on this map, but it's a few miles from another familiar place called Nazareth. And again, I got to go here a few years ago. Here's a picture uh, that I took from, from a place called the Hill of Moray. And uh, that's significant if, if you think about Gideon's story and Gideon's army. And so we sat on the Hill of Moray here. This is the Jezreel Valley, again, that extends up to the Sea of Galilee. Nain is right here at the base of the hill on the far right side of this picture. And then directly off in the distance across the valley and up the hill is a place called Nazareth that was Jesus' hometown. This is where Jesus grew up as a kid. And so Jesus and his disciples, again, have been in Capernaum, and they've now come to this place called Nain where it's likely later in the day, verse 12. Luke says, in verse 12, this, as he approached the town gate, Jesus, a dead person, was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow, and a large crowd from the town was with her. And so picture this, if you would. Here is Jesus and his crowd, all right? They are on their way into the village of Nain while a funeral procession is coming directly toward them. Uh, no hearse, uh, no police cars, no gun salutes or anything like that, but there are plenty of people that are grieving. And that means family and friends, as well as paid mourners, which sounds unusual to us, but 2,000 years ago in this culture, this was a normal thing. It wasn't uncommon to pay people to come be a part of a funeral procession like this. And so they would come with their instruments and they would be a part of, of this procession and participate in the sadness. And so for Jesus and his friends, there's no doubt at all at what's coming towards them. All right, someone has died and people are sad about it, but there's something unique about this particular funeral and these cries because a child has died. And every one of us knows that there is probably nothing worse or devastating than the loss of a child. I've conducted a handful of funerals of children of all ages, and it's awful. I will never forget 
those experiences and walking alongside of those families in their greatest time of need. Some of you today have experienced the loss of a child and you know how painful and difficult it is and how that pain will never completely go away. And we don't know a lot about the circumstances of this child's funeral in Nain. Uh, we don't know much about the poor grieving woman. We don't know how old she is. We know she's a widow. Again, Luke includes that detail, but we don't know how or when she lost her husband. And we don't know anything about her dead son. Was he three? Was he 15? Was it an accident? Was it an illness? We don't know. What we do know is that the boy likely died that morning because as Warren Wearsby points out, the dead were often buried the same day. And so if Jesus and his friends arrive in the afternoon, there's a really good chance the child has died that morning, but no matter when it occurred, the point is this, that the pain was very real. It was very fresh. No doubt this woman is overwhelmed with grief. She has lost her son. And add to her circumstances, again, as Luke points out, she was a widow. And now, because she was a widow and without a male child, she is at an incredible disadvantage. Because 2,000 years ago, women were totally dependent on either their husband or a male child to provide for them. They had little to no rights in this culture. And so this woman, she's got no one to provide and protect her. She is all alone in this world. But that's about to change with Jesus. He is about to break up this funeral. And before we see him do that, though, there are some other important details that Luke includes that help us better understand Jesus' heart and compassion towards the hurting. Verse 13, Luke writes, When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her, and he said, Don't cry. Notice that Luke says that he saw her, which we might look at and think, well, duh. I mean, they're coming right towards him, but we've got, we've got to recognize that he didn't just see the crowd, but that he saw this woman. He saw the one that was the most impacted in this moment, a single mom, a grieving widow. And I just want to point out that in the same way that Jesus saw her, he sees you too. He sees each of us. He sees you when you're hurting. Uh, he sees you when you're struggling in your marriage and you feel like giving up. Uh, this Jesus of ours, he sees you when you're stressed out and when you're wondering how in the world are we going to pay these bills. He sees you when you're worn out from from praying for, for a, from a kid who's maybe kind of rebelled and, and walked away from the like Jesus. He, he sees us when we feel stuck when we don't see a way out or when we don't see a way through. And so Jesus saw her, but notice also that, G, that, that Luke says that Jesus' heart went out to her, meaning that he was overwhelmed for her, overwhelmed with compassion. And this is a really interesting word. This is a really interesting phrase. His heart went out to her. When you look at it from the Greek language, I'll teach you one Greek word today. It's the Greek word splagnizomai. It's not an easy word to say. And I had to double check the spelling of it a couple of times too, but splagnizomai. And, and maybe I'm pronouncing it correctly. I'm not sure what grade Dr. Shively would give me here, but splagnizomai means to feel this pity, to feel this grief, to this level of compassion. But get this, it's such a deep reaction that it means to feel it in your guts and even your bowels. 
How's that for a word picture, all right, when it comes to compassion? Somebody described this level of compassion as what, is, what it means for me to experience your pain in my heart. And that's what Jesus does here. And so what's it mean to us? Well, it shows us that Jesus has a heart big enough for all of our sorrows, that his reaction in, in Nain shows us that his compassion is real. It's fair to say that when you experience uh, hurt, when you experience loss in your life, and maybe that's where you are right now, that Jesus feels the same emotions that you feel. And so not only did his heart go out to her, but also he offered her comforting words because look what he said to her. He says, don't cry. Now, this isn't Jesus just trying to keep this woman from crying. I'm like, I don't know what I'm gonna do right here if you start crying on me. I mean, that's not what he's doing here, but this is Jesus expressing genuine care and concern for her and also signaling to those around him, especially his disciples, that he's about to do something very special. And what Jesus does next would have been so unheard of, so scandalous in this particular culture that make no mistake, Luke includes this detail on purpose so that you and I might understand the lengths that Jesus is willing to go to to express and extend his compassion to us. Look at how Luke records it. Verse 14, it says, Then he went up, Jesus did, and touched the bier they were carrying him on, and the bears stood still. We use coffins today. Back then, they used a stretcher, an open stretcher that was called a beer. And why is this act by Jesus so scandalous? Well, Judaism includes a number of religious laws, many of which have everything to do with distinguishing a person between ceremonially clean and ceremonially unclean. One law said that you couldn't touch a dead body or anything that was touching a dead body or you would be ceremonially unclean. And what does Jesus do? He touches the stretcher of the dead boy, which means he's ceremonially unclean now, but that doesn't concern Jesus in this moment. That's not on his mind. This grieving woman is on his mind. And I like what Pastor Craig Rochelle says about Jesus' actions here. In that touching this stretcher, Jesus crossed a barrier. He was willing to cross a line for this woman, but that's what love does, love he says, crosses lines. And all of Luke, and really all of the Gospels for that matter, are example after example of Jesus crossing lines for the sake of demonstrating his great love and compassion for people. And do you know what? As followers of Jesus, we're called to cross lines too. Like, think about it. Right now, you've got people all around you You've got people that you work with, people that the Lord has put in your life. Uh, you've got people in your neighborhood, like you think you picked this house because you like the front yard or you like the kitchen, but Jesus put you there because he knew the people that were living around you. The same is true of your apartment complex. The same is true of where your kids go to school or the college campus uh, that you attend today, that you are there. God has put people in your life, people that have not yet encountered the love of Jesus Christ, and God has put you there for a reason. He's given you proximity to them that you might cross lines if needed and share the love of Jesus with them. It's why we're going out of our way as a church to support churches like Reality Church 
because reality is all about crossing lines for the sake of helping others know the power and the love of Jesus Christ. It's why we're in this greater initiative as a church. We launched into it a year and a half ago at the exact same time that the COVID pandemic uh, started. There were questions of whether we should continue or not. And in faith and through the Lord's leadership, we've continued because you know what? Love crosses lines. It's why we're involved not only in ministry right here in the Noblesville, Carmel, Westfield, Fishers area, north side of Indy area, but it's just say, hey, we want to be involved with this city. We want to go wherever the Lord send us. We want to be generous people. We want to shine the light and the love of Jesus for others because love crosses lines. Jesus crossed the line for the sake of this boy, this woman, and really this crowd. And he's called us to do the same for others. And so he reached out and he touched this stretcher and really all of the music stopped in the moment. I mean, there was just probably a screeching halt as the pallbearer stood still because everyone took note of what Jesus did and gasped. But then the silence is broken in verse 14 as Jesus gives one simple command. He says, young man, get up. And then this, verse 15, it says, the dead man sat up and began to talk. And Jesus gave him back to his mother. Please don't miss what happens here. Jesus touched the young man, spoke these words to him, and the boy gets up. He can't help but respond. And he's awake in this moment. Genesis Church, I don't know what feels dead in your life right now. But I want you to know today that with one word, with one touch from Jesus, that he can breathe life back into you, that he can give you hope where it feels like you are all out of hope, all right? And that you've got nothing left to give right now where all hope feels lost. And I can't say how that he wants to do that for you. Like maybe for some of you, there's a song that we sang today, or even as we finish our service with worship today, maybe there's a song or a word that God's gonna give you that's gonna speak and touch your life in a powerful way. Maybe there's a word from this message or from this particular account that we're looking at today. Maybe maybe God's gonna minister to your heart. We're gonna share communion together as a church family in a few minutes. And maybe that's gonna do something for you like it's never done before. Maybe it's a a prayer that somebody's going to say with you and for you. Maybe, maybe God's got something uh, st- in store for your life later on today. As Jesus put life into this boy, I just want you to know that he can breathe life back into you because Jesus is our source of life. And maybe it's going to be just enough to get you through this week. Maybe what he has for you today is going to be just enough to get you through the day, whatever it may be. I'm here to tell you this morning that he loves you, that our Savior, he loves you, and he knows your hurt, and he knows your pain. Friends, Jesus has everything you will ever need. And so he touches this stretcher. He he speaks the words to this boy. The young man gets up, and what in the world did the boy do next? Well, if he was a teen, he probably asked for something to eat, right? Because, you know, teenage boys are just never full, all right? They're always hungry. But no, Luke records that Jesus gave him back to his mother. Can you even imagine that moment, moms, and what that felt like, that reunion? I mean, this woman that has experienced the worst of losses, she's lost a spouse, she lost a son, but now she's reunited with her son again, and their relationship will never be the same. And I guarantee you that woman will never be the same. I like one other observation Warren Wiersbe makes about this particular story. He likes to say that there are actually two sons present in the story. 
Uh, First of all, there's the dead son of the mother who Jesus brings back to life, but also the son of God. He's there too, because when you think about it, one son was dead, but brought back to life. The other, the son of God was very much alive in this moment, but he's going to die only to ultimately be raised from the dead by his father in heaven. And what a reminder for us that what Jesus did for this young man, he can do in our life too. He can do in your life today because you see, apart from Jesus Christ, you are dead in your sin. Uh, without Jesus, your days, our days are, are, are numbered. We have limited time. Like we are living with, with no eternal hope. But when Christ comes to be a part of your life, when you trust Jesus Christ as your Lord and, and Savior and with your life and your salvation, well, that, that changes everything. That changes everything for us. Like when you trust Jesus as your Lord and Savior, like Jesus will do for you what he did for this boy. And that is that he tells us to get up, that we are made new in Jesus Christ, that we are pronounced alive in him. And so Jesus gives us life. He gives us life for today. But in Jesus Christ, we also have the promise of life for all of eternity. And we also know that nothing, not even death, can separate us from the love of God that has come to us through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Two things I want to leave you with today. If you're taking notes, two things that we learned from this story. The first thing is this, is that our Savior, Jesus Christ, is full of compassion. He is overflowing with compassion. And that just means that his compassion is sufficient for every need here this morning. That his compassion is great in everything that we need when we experience loss, when we experience death. That that his compassion can be comforting to us when when a relationship is is lost. That that when we feel worthless or when we feel lost, like Jesus' compassion is just what we need. It's it's just enough in our anxiety. It's more than enough in our failures and in our hurting. Like Jesus has what we need. Like he hears every cry. He knows every pain, the pain of every voice, and his heart goes out to us and out to you, just as it did for this woman in Nain. Friends, are you hurting today? Are you overwhelmed with some pain and hurt and frustration in your life? Jesus' heart goes out to you this morning. And not only is he full of compassion, but this. Our Savior is full of power. I heard someone say that it's no accident that Jesus directed the command, get up to the young boy, because if not, in that moment, every dead body in Israel would have come out of the ground. All Jesus has to say is get up and the dead rise. And that same power that was demonstrated on that day is the same power available to you and me every day and through every trial that we go through. What do you need God to do in your life right now? Where do you need to experience his power and his presence? Tell him. Ask him. We can take all of our needs. We can take all of our cares before him because he cares. He is full of compassion. He is full of power. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this powerful and awesome reminder of how great and amazing you are today and how that it was demonstrated. Like when we look at Jesus, we, this is you. 
This is who you are. We thank you. Thank you for what you have revealed to us in Jesus. Thank you for the life that's available to us in Jesus. But Lord, you know every person in this room right now. You know every story. You know every circumstance. You know every hurt and pain present here right now. God, would you minister to our hearts in this place today? Don't hesitate to tell him how you're feeling right now. Do it right now. Ask him for what you need. Ask him to demonstrate his love and his power in your life, in your marriage, in your parenting, in your pain, in your hurt, in your frustration, in your ministry, in your work. Give it to him today. Open your heart to Jesus. Experience his compassion, his love, and power in your life. Father, have your way in us. Have your way in this room right now. We're here for you. We need to hear from you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.